0: and welcome to the New Zealand Improv Festival Audio Archive, bringing you live recordings and conversations from New Zealand's annual celebration of spontaneous theatre. In this episode we bring you, yeah, nah, you go, a live panel discussion about performative humility and confidence in the New Zealand improv industry. The following episode was recorded in front of a live audience at Bats Theatre in October 2020. Please note, Due to technical difficulties, the audio quality is a bit poor at times, but the conversational content is always sweet as. And now presenting the NZIF 2020 conference series.
1: Well done. Thanks, Aaron, and thanks for uh, inviting us all to be a part of this panel today. Um, so, the topic as described is New Zealand improv, yeah, nah, you go. Is New Zealand improv too polite? Uh, and it's a roundtable discussion of professional improvisers exploring performative humility and confidence in the New Zealand improv industry. Some of the questions that have been posed to us are how does politeness affect the way we play, what are the strengths or or weaknesses of our cultural norms, what is the difference between collaborative respect and artistic hesitance when we are playing as a team. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to introduce the panel to you, or they've already been introduced, but just uh, invite them to say a couple of words about themselves and what brings them to the festival. And then we're going to go on, interrogate the very terms of the debate, and then continue to discuss it. What a move! may I ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your involvement at the
2: festival? Yeah, sure. So, with the middle name, uh, my nickname, sorry, my family calls me Boss. Um, they've never really called me William. Um They don't even know I'm called Woody really, until they see my posts on Facebook saying, so, uh, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I've been doing improv for about 18 years now, uh, teaching, uh, performing, all the likes, all the forms. I've done lights, I've done it all. Um, I've been in front of an audience of three, through to my largest audience, I think it was 400. That was uh, So I've been through all those kind of stages of highs and lows, I like to think. Um, and I wouldn't exchange any of that for improvs my first
1: and love. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Thank
3: you. <laughs> Bethany. Kia ora. I'm Bethany, and I have a big background in all sorts of kinds of theater scripted, and devising, and also kind of musical theater background, and then I got sort of headfirst into improv uh, when I discovered the amazingness at the same festival in 2017, and have a lot of that. And I so I guess I, I've often seen myself as a, a baby in the in the scene because I have a lot of performing experience but not so much improv experience. So I guess maybe that harbors a bit of politeness. And my personality is also probably very polite. So that I think probably sometimes comes onto stage a bit. And I am in Quite a few shows in the festival. I uh, last night um, performed in the opening showcase and the musical, the musical, with a few people in this room, including Widamu here. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to be doing my solo, so i Waste Not One, well, Not Bethany's Guide to the Rift Life. And on Friday I'm doing the double here in the evening. Is there anything
1: else I need to say? No, you've
3: nailed it. Yes. Thank you, Bethany. <laughs> Brendan. Hi,
4: I'm Brendan. I perform with the Court Jesters down at Christchurch. Um, I've been doing that for about, I think, 17 years. Um, and, yeah, I, I like improv. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Great,
5: okay. So, uh, my name is Ben Zolno. And my background in improv started uh, when I was yeah, in my early teens, uh, starting at, uh, mid-teens, starting at Second City in Chicago, and then... Uh, did a college thing, moved on and studied at Improv Olympic, performed there, and did some more Second City stuff, moved on to UCB in New York, and a little bit in LA before I said, oh, that's enough, and then I took about 10 years off, and uh, besides some dabbling, went in and out, but really restarted in Wellington just about three, four years ago, Uh, and now I run uh, a school, now that I remember what improv is, uh, called Improv Connection, and we focus on kind of unscripted theater, uh, genre and the approach of just grounded characters and asserting, asserting, asserting as much as you can. So, we'll be interested to talk about that in terms of plainness. Um, and then, here at the festival, I've done I'm doing a few shows. One of them is called uh, Doom and Bloom's Terrifying Formless Roller Coaster. Doom and Bloom has uh, really tight forms in the way that we perform, and we're hoping to destroy their reputation tonight. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing another show called Little Big Lies with Malcolm Morrison and uh, Mary, Little, lots of folks in there. Uh, And that's going to be tomorrow night uh, for our new group called Gang of Happy. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Pete. And, yeah,
1: I should introduce myself as well, briefly. I'm Christine Brooks. I've been involved in the, enforcing here in Wellington for... Number of years in the festival. Um, currently not performing as much as I have and teaching as much as I have in the past but involved with Locomotive and we are presenting our show at the festival tonight called One Act Play with a special guest, Brendan Bennett, on this panel Laura Irish to come and Matt Powell who's also a member of Locomotive. So into the question, uh, I'd like to read you a little uh, spiel about something called Ask versus guest culture and i think this is an interesting insight into a little bit about who we are as people how we see ourselves and i'm interested to think about this in terms of how it translates into improv so this was uh, went a bit viral online and um uh, was a response initially to an online question and uh discussing two different ways of of being in the world just read it to you In some families, you grow up with the expectation that it's okay to ask for anything at all, but you've got to realise you might get no for an answer. This is ask culture. In guest culture, you avoid putting a request into words unless you're pretty sure the answer will be yes. Guest culture depends on a tight net of shared expectations. A key skill is putting out delicate feelings. If you do this with enough subtlety, you won't even have to make the request directly. You'll get an offer. Even then, the offer may be genuine or pro forma. It takes yet more skill and delicacy to discern whether you should accept. All kinds of problems spring up around the edges. If you're a guest culture person, then unwelcome requests from ask culture people seem presumptuous and out of line, and you're likely to feel angry, uncomfortable, and manipulated. If you're an ask culture person, guest culture behaviour can seem incomprehensible, inconsistent, and rife with passive aggression. So I'd like to put to the panel, do you consider yourself an ask culture person or a guest culture person Uh, this is more in your your personality rather than your on-stage persona if those things differ Um, or something in between Uh, would you like to start on that
2: sure Uh, i can honestly say when you read that first paragraph definitely from the get-go ask like growing up absolutely agree up. that but I noticed, the moment I moved away from home, that started to kind of uh, loosen up a bit, and when I opened myself to like, moving from a little town um, to a slightly bigger town, like Hastings more oh, so big, uh, but then come down to Wellington, that was growing up completely.
1: So like, you yeah. grew up as ask yeah. culture, yeah. and you've become more guest culture, Yeah, uh, somewhere well, in the middle like now? like 51%. Yeah. Oh,
3: interesting. Isn't it? Guess culture. I mean, it's. I reckon probably, you know, in my family, it, as per normal, you know, things are probably way more direct, but yeah, definitely guest culture. I definitely relate to the idea of everyone in a lot of my circles being very careful with questions very careful with answers, very careful with subtext, and I definitely can experience, and remember the experience of being around really strong ass cultures, and definitely feeling very uncomfortable, and definitely feeling like, whoa, that was very forward. What do you want from me, you know? Um, and I've heard people articulate it in other ways, but I've never heard it articulated
1: like this, and I think it's really constructive. Thanks, nice, Bethany.
4: What about you, Brendan? I, I would have thought of myself as a guest culture person, but I lived for, in Japan for two years, and Japan is kind of the benchmark for guest culture. And on reflection, I think about how much I kind of stomped through my years there, um making assumptions and uh, putting demands on people that probably shouldn't So uh, there's definitely an ask element to me when I compare myself. You know, when you put this color against, you think it's black and then you put it against an actual black and you're like, oh no, it's navy. (laughs) Um, So I'm navy. (laughs) Um,
5: (laughs) um, Yes, I have one other thought about that, maybe. Please you continue your yes. other thoughts, because I've been, I've been uh, contemplating this answer for about 48 hours, and I need a couple more seconds. Great, right. okay, <laughs> so
4: the, I think that guest culture maybe depends on a kind of, having an underlying kind of homogenous culture, with a lot of shared references and things. I think we can translate this into improv, in that do you have, is your improv culture a kind of homogenous, everyone has the sh- same understanding, you can, if, it, if you don't, then you probably need more ask culture. You need to just put things out more. You know, like, Japan has a, in addition to being a guest culture, it does have that kind of um, long tradition of,
1: uh, kind of
5: shared culture that
1: is it, kind of Excluding the uh, influence about some culture. Interesting. So you're saying, uh, sort of, the more homogeneous the culture, the more successfully guest culture can operate.
4: That hmm. is just my speculation for the last two
5: minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ben. I would speculate similarly uh, along those lines for sure. Um, okay, so the moment has come. My speculation has to end. I would say that. I'll just say I'm, I'm somewhere in between guess and ask culture, just to spit out a few thoughts here. I was, I've always been kind of an intuitive person, but also an over-analytic person, so I will, I will feel how I feel, but then I'll go, well, what are the other eight things that might be going on in their head? Mm, it's based on all the triangulation, all the things that I know about Bethany, and all the things that I know about the world and where we are today. I'm just going to make my best guess, usually. Uh, the last few years, particularly with the Me Too movement and other uh, other types of awareness, it's become there's almost bit, become an expectation that almost everything needs to be asked when it comes to any kind of assumption, uh, which I think is for the most part quite beneficial, at least in terms of safety, but also can make people guess their instincts quite a bit. So, if I can transition this a little bit into how I deal with that in improv. Um, When I'm teaching improv, we go through a consent process of not only having everybody clearly define what their boundaries are and what they're up for with the group in general. Um, It takes too long to say what they're up for with each individual, and uh, we tested that, and it took like a class and a half instead of the the two hours that we put aside for that. Um, But then that opens you up for less and less uh, questions that need to be answer during a scene, so you can guess more often. And the guess is also protected by two things. One is telegraphing, like physical telegraphing, or saying, I'm about to hug you, or spreading your arms out wide, and watching them recoil, and uh, taking that as information as to not make a move. And the other one, in case the information that you got ahead of time fails, and the telegraphing fails, there's a safe word to be able to stop during a class or during a show at any time. And that's to do two things. One is to protect people, but the other one is to open up as much guest culture as you can so your scenes are more impactful, they can get emotional more quickly, and they go further.
1: Interesting. I I was probably raised in, in the New Zealand version of um, guest culture, taking into account your navy, your navy blue comments, uh, Brendan, <laughs> um, and have probably, opposite to you, it may become more direct uh, mm. over time, um, because, likewise, as you described, Bethany, I've had ex- I have had moments where I would be confronted by people asking directly for something, and because for me, if I was asked directly for something, if I was to ask directly for something, that would mean I really, really wanted it, and rather than it being okay to say, "Oh no, actually, that's not going to work," that would I would feel that quite awkward, uh, That w- would feel quite awkward. So, I've sort of trained myself to be more, more direct. Um, thinking about this idea, um, seizing upon what you're talking about, um, Brendan, about shared cultural norms moving us towards a more successful guest culture, uh, and also thinking about what you're saying, Ben, about your, the processes you've used. Do you, and now going back to the sort of terms we were operating on about New Zealand improv is too polite. Do you think we have a a shared culture of New Zealand improv? How homogenous is New Zealand improv is the question I'm asking.
4: I think that NZIF has, over the years, been a kind of vector for a shared culture that wasn't there before. You know, it used to be, when I started out in improv, there was all of these uh, you know, Galapagos Islands of improv and everyone was evolving in their own way and there was very little crossover. I think there are still some Galapagos Islands but there's a lot more shared culture now than there was. You see things kind of filtering out from, from NZIF and from like uh, visiting tutors going around and that kind of thing. So I think there's much more than that.
3: I think the Code of Conduct is really helpful, especially in terms of the stuff that you talked about, Ben. I don't know if that counts as guest culture, because like, it is a set of shared expectations, but it just feels like it's very clear, maybe clearer than guest culture implies. And the Code of Conduct includes a lot of things about consent, about
0: maybe not super
3: clear about how because that would be set in your individual workshops or individual showcasts. but yeah the importance of asking uh, about how you say telegraphing and then responding with yes or no so I think that's really helpful for a shared culture for NZIF and I've seen the code of conduct started to be used adapted and used in other festivals as well and I think that's really really great because then you start to uh, ingrain. Let's go with ingrained. <laughs> yes, is a very interesting question in itself. <laughs> like learning to say not always yes or different ways to say yes when doing in front. But that's another question. Uh,
2: I'm just gonna echo what Brigid said. Um, me and Brigid had a streak we got to uphold.
5: Um, uh-huh is uh,
2: one of a uh, select few that have been to every year in <laughs> um, Select few, probably. It's the few. only reason why I'm here this year. <laughs> <laughs> he's, going, he's going home tomorrow. I'm <laughs> very grateful that you are. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I remember the first festival, and just assuming that, because even in those days, I was that one year. <laughs> 1954. <laughs> <laughs> it almost as a kind of um, you both, what everyone kinda of touched on, I just assumed uh, that the culture and travel was all the same everywhere in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I knew for some reason it was gonna be slightly different elsewhere. I just assumed everywhere in New Zealand was be different. But when the first festival happened, ground only had a few groups, it was completely different. Like, not like contrast like black and white different, just the cultures were different. Like seeing the court justice play, just seeing that joy not saying there was some joy here, but there was a different type of joy that was being expressed. And it kind of opened my mind up to a lot more uh, culturally. Because um, you can just take any of those players, or any, any of us, into any of those groups, and they would just like, without a thought, you know, just carry on, because kind of, they'll adapt so readily. Because they've got teachers in there. And over the years, uh, it's been touched on, it has evolved, I think, for the better, in so many ways. Because we put ourselves out there, um, we probably challenge our our either ask or guest cultures every year. Um, But NDIF most definitely has a culture, like a very unique one, that probably probably harnesses the best of each kind of city in New Zealand and combines, like Voltron, (laughs) um, into the mega. let's go Power Rangers, because I want to say Megazord, uh, uh, takes all the, the, the robots and forms this Megazord of New Zealand culture and growth. And then when you get, like the Americans, um, or the Australians, any, anyone from overseas coming here, and then they are put into that culture, rather than fighting that, they just, I'll, I'll be in this Vulture review with you, or this Megazord with you as well. But with that, we take a little bit of their, a little bit of their culture, and we little sprinkle. Uh, Taka is a prime example. Um, he did one action. One action that anyone could have done differently. Is how he holds a cup. Uh, object working on a cup. He holds it,
1: care. Who's that, sir.
2: Taka, from Japan. Oh, yeah. Kiwi's so like brash and but like, he just took so much time. That for me, that stuck for me for so long. So, little things like, like that, I've adapted to. And he's obviously taken like Kimmy songs with him. I know he sings like, uh, I can't remember what song, but he <laughs> sings it quite often. But to sing this culture within the New Zealand Festival evolves every year. Right.
1: Let's I was thinking then, let's move to uh, the definition of what does it mean to be polite? Brendan, you and I briefly spoke before the mm. panel, um, and I used a metaphor, the, the road code, which I particularly like. Would you care to...?
4: Mm. Yeah, so one way of thinking about politeness is that it's a road code for social interactions, right? It's a way to stop people crashing into each other. Um, but because it's kind of a, kind of a tick-box thing, you're also avoiding the need for kind of empathy or compassion. You know, and they say there are, there are, you know, there's always a village somewhere where they're like, we took out all of the road signs and then suddenly everyone became a better driver because <laughs> everyone suddenly has to actually, like, connect with the other drivers. and Well, what are you doing? Well, here's what I'm doing. Well, what are you doing? Like, so politeness could be interpreted as a kind of, like, a, a way to avoid connecting more deeply with other people. But at the same time, I guess the benefit is you avoid crashes. Like it's like a base label
5: that stops you from, from having those complete disasters. Well, w- when I grew up in improv, the first thing that I was always taught is that you're there to support your other player, and that's your sole responsibility, which I think was excellent and horrible advice um, because I just spent probably the next five years of just walking out on stage, standing there until the other person did something And then, oh, I'm going to support what they need. Oh, they need me to be an old man. I'm going to be an old man. They need me to be a tiny little girl crying. I'm going to be a tiny little girl crying, whatever. Um, It was, uh, so that kind of politeness in improv, I get in terms of wanting to support people. But it took me years. I think I was starting the annoyance before I realized, like, I just got to put something out there. The the, the most polite thing I can do, the way they had to tell it to me, like, you know, my my brain had already been trained, the way I can support people the most is by creating a journey with them together, and so when it comes to the title of this panel, you know, what is it, yeah, yeah, now nah, you go, uh, I, I think, yeah, I've been th- sitting here thinking, be, I, I've had trouble with this the last couple days, and I wasn't sure why, because I was trying to put all the Kiwis in one basket, right, to try to have some authoritative stance on this panel as an American, <laughs> uh, but I realized it's because about three quarters of my students are international, I mean, just in one class I have now, I have, got somebody from India, Philippines, Czech Republic, Russia, Poland, Denmark, Canada, the United States, and I've got three Kiwis. Um, and I think pretty much without fail, it is it is the Kiwis that tend to be the most reserved in their improv and have the most trouble in a way that I can totally relate to, because again, that's how I started, uh, asserting their own thing. They seem to be there more to support and more to think through how to get things to happen rather than just be impolite, which I actually use that word a lot. You need to be less polite, you need to be more selfish,
1: you need to just do your thing. So that, what you're describing resonates for me in terms of my own improv journey around in terms of gender as well. So I started off improvising in the 90s in Christchurch and I was often, you know, in the minority gender wise in terms of improv I did. And then, so I've been the only woman on stage, and you know, this is well-worn, well-worn territory now about gender and improv. And I've done all women's work to support, uh, to create a place where what can be considered a stereotypically feminine characteristic of perhaps being less um, assertive, hanging back, you know, not asking for the pay rise, whatever you want to, however you want to characterize that, how that translates on stage, and then in turn creating spaces where that is actually seen as not necessarily a problem um, and that it's just a different style of play. Um, And I'm interested in understanding, when we ask the question, um, are we too polite? By whose standards and to what end? Like, um, it's the same, it reminds me of the feedback that women sometimes get about how they communicate. don't be, you should, don't use words like modified, like don't say just or um, I'm just emailing to ask for um, you know politeness and communication, it can be characterized. Just be more direct and ask for what you want. Well, why do we consider that to necessarily be an inferior way of communicating just because that's the dominant way of communicating? And so I feel like there is um, some resonances here. I'm interested to hear what other people think about that.
3: I also can relate to a lot of what you were saying, Christine. So I got into a team basically immediately after the festival in 2017. I just wanted to be totally immersed in it. And I was the only woman in the team. And And I started out finding that really hard because I was, felt like I was the only one that could do women roles. And felt like, oh gosh, I need to do them justice and have to be strong roles and all of that kind of thing. So that, that's one side. Um, but it was like, yeah, I, I also, partly because of my personality, I think partly because of have been growing up in both New Zealand context and sort of weird gender, cultural things of politeness, um, but also just my personality. Uh, yeah, I fall very comfortably into support roles in improv, and and I think both, I also agree with both sides of that, like one that's super valuable, and and I've often been really appreciated for being able to do that. And there was a wonderful workshop in the festival a year or two ago, which was all about really uplifting the important strengths of support and traditionally kind of feminine singing characteristics, and and then the other side, interestingly, improv was a big way for me to learn to be more assertive. Um, more so than in my other fields. Because you have autonomy and um, as like an actor or a performer or a singer, you know you're often at the bottom of the rung and you're always having to please someone else. And but when you're an improviser performer, um you're you're the one that gets to create the script. You're not creating some playwright script. You'll um, we'll have a director, but they help to draw the power out of you. And that's pretty cool. And like I say, I started off just supporting, but uh, I've, I've been encouraged throughout that to, to be way more assertive and with ideas. And it's been improv that has actually helped the rest of my life in terms of being way more
1: decisive and direct. Um, So now I've kind of got a bit of a balance. Interesting. Thanks, Bethany. I was also, um, I was speaking to to this in relation to gender, but I'm also conscious that some of these um, considered feminine characteristics also have a cultural aspect. Again, thinking about the dominant culture, it tends to be a Pākehā um, or white culture, which also values sort of assertiveness and that sometimes other ways of being are not necessarily factored in. Um, I certainly wouldn't presume to be the expert on this, and but I was wondering if anyone
4: had any thoughts on, on that. A, a connected thought. This is um, from a discussion that I had uh, last year with Catherine Weaver. I consider myself here as a proxy for her because most of my ideas I get from her. Um, <laughs> but she, she talked about how you can kind of divide improvisers into like verbal. Verbal offers and physical offers, men tend to rely more on verbal offers than women. Physical offers, just as a, as, a, as a generalization. But also, as William pointed out before, it's in reference to taco. like my experience working with Japanese improvisers um, is that, and maybe this is related to guest culture, but they rely a lot on subtle physical offers to establish the scene and the character and noticing those details. And I think that one of the conflicts that we get involved is between these two camps. And the verbal improvisers always win because they're literally the loudest. Um, And the verbal improvisers are looking at these physical improvisers and saying, why aren't you making any offers? Why aren't you making any offers that I can yes and? And the physical improvisers are saying, why aren't you noticing my office? Why aren't you noticing my office? Why aren't you sending them?
3: Oh, I can definitely relate to that. And, and emotional offers as well? Like. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. I, so by physical I mean like, yeah. Right. Anything that's non-verbal. Yeah.
3: Like definitely I've often been like the one giving emotional offers. And actually now you now you mentioned that I think probably in my earlier years it was definitely felt like you're kind of drowning and everyone else being super assertive. And so maybe you have cool ideas, but either You're worried that for some reason they're not good enough, or um, just because of that mentality, (laughs) Um, or yeah, or they wouldn't get seen anyway. But yeah, emotional authors has definitely been my kind of uh, natural go to.
2: Yeah, uh, that just blew my mind uh, because I don't have a a great vocab and articulate viewer. And that's why I try to visualise Walkers it tends to get bit more, um, not necessarily bolder or louder, but the best way I can get what I'm trying to say on stage. I've gotten better, don't get me wrong, but that is definitely <coughs> something that just in my mind. Now, I'm often outnumbered. I see it as how do I fit into this group? Okay, I, I can't be the smartest person on the stage, I can't be the most person on stage, whatever the context is. But I know I've got one thing that I can bring to the table and I'm gonna use it as much as I can. Over the years of today, I'm involved because I'm surrounded by amazing, amazing, lovely people. I'm not trying to make this a thing or anything like that. I don't feel alone, like being the only I'm not and I'm not. I'd like not love to see more sit by um, do more improv, but they're doing their own improv in their own ways in other fields and I get that, I know that. All I know is that when I'm playing with anyone here, anyone on the stage, all of those just, just fade away, and then they will just be characters telling a story. One of the many things we can do together is tell a story
1: together, no matter what sex, race, religion. So I would like to posit a reframing of this uh, topic, which is, is New Zealand improv, not is New Zealand improv too polite, but Is New Zealand improv not polite enough? Are we actually not, have we, is there there not, are we still on the journey to making, depending on how you define polite, and if we define it in a way which is actually being receptive and open to a variety of offers and not assuming a kind of dominant discourse in how we interact with people, are we actually in need of being more polite?
5: I found New Zealand improv to be harder to integrate myself into uh, than any other improv scene I've ever been in. What Pretty is sure. that? Uh, perhaps New Zealand improvisers are not planned up. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why that is. Um, I just know that like when, whenever we were in Chicago, and there was lots of problems in Chicago, um, particularly in retrospect, but when it came down to... Hey, you want to play, or hey, come see my show, or do that kind of thing. It might take like uh, a day or two of getting to know you, rather than a couple of years or two of getting to know you before they would let you play around or ask you to coffee or something like that. Um, and that's been very hard on on I me mean, personally, but other people as well. And there's also less um, there's less desire to integrate as well. Like, uh, I, I've been working with some folks here that have never been to the New Zealand Improv Festival, working with them for years here. Like, get over, get over. And finally, like for my class, I had to cancel classes and all the rehearsals saying, you're going to New Zealand Improv Festival, here's a video tutorial on how to go to the festival. Because there, there is a uh, hesitance to intermingle. I don't know what that is. Um, I don't know if it's a Wellington thing or a New Zealand uh, thing in general, but uh, I found it rather curious. Um, another aspect I just want to throw out there, kind of like a, a grenade and just see where it lands, um, is that often, uh, part of the ask culture here, I haven't been able to figure out so much. So sometimes the answer is yes, and it's not yes.
4: Yeah. It's that yeah, nah, it's 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 nice. Nice. and also
5: it's yeah, and the na is behind your back. <laughs> you're, um, you're not the first person that I've heard
4: say that. Like, New Zealand improv is unwelcome. Mm. I I I'll I will admit that. Mm. Um, but I don't know the I don't know the answer to it. But I, you're not the only person I've heard that from. Really yeah, it's interesting.
3: The Yena sounds kind of like the the version of the answer in the guest culture model. I think I feel like it said somewhere oh yes, it <coughs> It talks about being really delicate with the way you are asked, and then you maybe get an offer and response. But yeah, it sounds kind of like with guest culture. It's kind of like you have a very subtle offer, then a very subtle response, then another subtle offer, and another subtle response. And there's just so much subtext that it takes a really long time for you to really know if it's a yes or a no. Um, or like you say, maybe you're saying yes, but the subtext is is no. And I think, yeah, subtext is huge, huge in, in guest
1: culture. Guest culture behavior can seem incomprehensible, inconsistent, <laughs> and rife with passive aggression. Yay!
5: <laughs> or a guest culture that appears to be an ass culture.
1: <laughs> yeah.
5: And sure is helling. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Not sure. Find out. Later or maybe I won't. But
3: <laughs> like, here's the thing, right? And you know, if it's impolite to say no, and that's why you have the guest culture, then you know it makes sense that some people would say yes when they don't really mean it. Mm-hmm. Because like, oh gosh, I like, couldn't possibly say no. It's the worst thing I could do. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Yeah. Nah. <laughs>
1: I am thinking I'll open it up to the audience, unless anyone on the panel has any, uh, we'll, cu- we'll come back at the end and have some closing remarks, but before I turn over, is there any other burning comments from the panel? Um,
3: it m- might be <coughs> useful at some point to touch on like tool poppy syndrome and imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah, do you want to touch on it now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a very um, <laughs> guest <laughs> cult, <cultural action. laughs> <laughs> No one minds, particularly
3: in the passive voice to be That's Okay. <laughs> okay. Away, oh, Bethany. So so much, so much. I am just just before I touch on that, <laughs> I when I was like reading about the guest culture and so we were talking about the polite culture thing, I was just thinking of my many of my well, few years of sort of being the producer and um and noticing with New Zealanders in general, and also uh, whether or not it's relevant, I work with a lot of women. I can do a lot of almost um, entirely woman projects, and everyone is so incredibly nice. You know, we're always doing that whole like, oh, just maybe if you wanted to, oh, and they like they say, oh my goodness, I would love to. I'm so attracted you go, oh, that you think you want it made me so happy you know like um, just you know there's everything is balanced with all the possible niceness you could possibly put in and it's really lovely does it so continue sometimes it makes me wonder is this draining mm-hmm. um does it continue it does yeah um sometimes i wonder is this kind of oh is this a lot of labor for people to put so much effort into it like because it, it does make it quite hard to cast for anything right or to to Get people on board because you just have to put so much effort into asking. As simple, would you like to be in my project? So that, that's one thing. But anyway, in terms of imposter syndrome, Hoff, Um yeah, I feel like it's huge in New Zealand because of tall poppy syndrome potentially. So tall poppy syndrome being, you know, the um, the idea that it's uh, very arrogant if you, in a bad way, if you do well and know it. Um and and it's not very attractive. So it's like one you don't want to excel, and then two, if other people are excelling and they know it, it's like, oh, they are way too bad.
1: Um Is this kind of like um sorry I can't say it in today, but the Kumara does not speak of its own sweetness. Oh, Toki.
3: Yeah, I guess it does sound quite similar to that pakatoki, yeah. Um so I guess that's kind of like so um, the epitome of my understanding of tool poppy syndrome and then I feel like maybe imposter syndrome potentially has come out of that and I, because I was talking to some people from overseas recently and they hadn't heard the term imposter syndrome before. The idea of, um, I guess, extreme self-doubt and never wanting to call yourself, you know, a, a master or a true professional in a certain field. Um, like, oh, oh, no, I'm not an improviser. I, I, just, I just happen to, to improvise. <laughs> All right. or dare, you know, dare I ever call myself an actor, then I would be extremely arrogant um, and feeling like you're never quite good enough, you're you're just an imposter in someone else's field and you don't really deserve to be there. And if other people find out that it could be detrimental and so you've always got this fear that people are going to find out that you're secretly not good enough to be there. Um, and I was in this wonderful... Um, kind of sound piece that my friend Evie created for New Zealand Fringe this year, and it was a whole bunch of different fields, not just artists, talking about this idea of self-doubt and imposter syndrome, and it was so comforting to realise, oh gosh,
1: everyone has self-doubt, everyone feels this way, therefore, we all belong. Great. I am just going to jump in. We've got a variety of different sort of strings, interrelated strings of... We've talked about ask versus guest culture. We've talked about um, the terms, you know, New Zealand improvs, uh, you know, monoculturalism or otherwise. We've talked about what politeness might mean and what it means on stage. Um, We've said, is New Zealand improv uh, not polite enough? And Ben has also observed that actually it doesn't necessarily feel as welcoming as we might like to think uh, it does. So with those various, and then tall poppy uh, syndrome, uh, Kumbhula, not speaking of their own sweetness, and imposter syndrome. So, with all of those threads at your disposal, audience, <laughs> would anyone like to ask a question? Uh, firstly, thanks, Christine. Um, I uh,
6: just realised today that I'm a guest sculptor person, and I think my wife's an art sculptor person. So, this might help my marriage. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <happy to> help. <laughs> um help. I guess my question really is, is awesome, thank you. What, and what do we do about it? Um, I'm a high school teacher teaching coding to um, girls, so I'm seeing this sort of as a, through a lens of um, perfectionism and risk-taking as well. I'm an un- unapologetically polite person myself, but when it comes to improv, you have to take risks, um, and I think intuitively you do that cost-benefit analysis of um, am I uh, are the social consequences of what I do going to outweigh the um, benefits of taking the risk? And I think with that thing if it's not perfect, then I don't even want to go for it, I don't even want to try. And in my experience, particularly coming down here, I, I feel comfortable, you know, with NZA, I feel comfortable taking risks and so my improv is less, you know, polite as it were. Whereas I've been in situations where I feel I have to be very polite or risk averse because I don't feel safe in that environment. So with that sort of in mind, what do we do about it? How do we promote less polite or like older or you know, or uh, maybe to do with the code of conduct, like what's a, um, What's an actions
1: we can take
4: from this? Great, right. thank you very much. Would anyone like to speak to that? Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, safety has to underline everything. Like, it's the reason why I like I can enjoy a roller coaster, but like if I'm on an aeroplane that's going up and down, I'm terrified because it doesn't have the the safety uh, associated with it. We think about politeness in terms of like you you go first, like you go through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but politeness is also, if you come to a party, you should you should bring something. Like I was watching Ethne play last night. Mm. I I think you're a very polite person. I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. <laughs> but every time you started to say you brought a gift with you, you always made an offer for the other person to to respond to. Being polite can still include making strong choices.
1: And I think. Just picking up on your own metaphor that you used earlier, Brendan, in response to what can we do about it if we assume that trust and safety is the kind of cornerstone of allowing that boldness and the willingness to be taking risks. The code of conduct Mm. and the road code of politeness, to use your metaphor, is actually a way of, of, a structural way of providing that. It's a set of training wheels to help people develop that trust and so that hopefully that trust then is, is more organic on top of that, uh, which will hopefully lead to that. So for me, it's building trust and using tools like that. So and you, you've also. got to you've
2: got to
4: live it as well, right? Like every improv workshop you go to, the tutor is like, "Hey, bro, it's, it's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes are great," and they give you this feel, But then if you then make a mistake, and you're like, right, what you did wrong there, or okay, yeah. hmm, you think that's improv, like you've got to live it. Like people people won't believe your words unless you back it up with your actions, let them make those mistakes, and that's your chance to actually prove to them that it's okay. And it's not just the it's the other participants, we, yeah. we all have to work together to live those values, not just like, like pay their service to them.
1: Any other thoughts from the panel on that question?
5: I, the kind of improv that i like to watch and participate in, I feel, is a reflection of the personality and the experiences and the observations of the individual people that are on stage and how they bring that forward. And if you don't bring that forward, it's impolite.
3: I just remember that we did this great game in um, Liz's in, uh, workshop on Sunday, uh, the character one, where it was like those kinds of warmups where you take the spot of someone else in the circle Um, And sometimes those games involve the person at the end saying yes, but in this particular game, I've never played where we can also say no. And we all were saying yes anyway, but then Liz said, okay, now I want some of you to sometimes say no, and I actually want you to do this. So it wasn't like a decision in this case. Of whether we wanted them to take our place or not. It was just practicing saying no, and doing that in a warm-up context was so helpful because we'd all say no in a really weird way, like like with so much pity in our voice, you know, and she'd be like, oh, it feels weird, doesn't it? And we'd be like, yeah. Um, but then she encouraged us to say it in a really matter-of-fact way, uh, and we all got used to that, and I think by the end of that, we had a really lovely ground to be able to say yes and no um, in order to answer offers and now involve
1: other questions. This maybe is more of a question for Ben, but one of the other cultural references
4: I've heard of is
5: where you say please and thank you. Uh, so, for example, if you're out at a restaurant, uh, New Zealanders will say please and thank you after every request of the waiter. Or if you're at Subway, you say please at every topic you ask Whereas Americans say thank you once at the end, and often it's with money. Um, <laughs> and I'm just wondering if you think that cultural difference is reflected in prop styles, given that New Zealand has more of a, a British influence culturally in that respect, in terms of where we say please and thank you, and how we ask for things. I mean, because I was also raised in the Midwest, which is characteristically uh, overly polite. Um, it's a, almost part of my cadence to say please and thank you, and I noticed it ever since reading about like, gendered emails, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm definitely a feminine emailer, uh, you know, in terms of like the gender stuff, so always say thank you, and i have trying to reduce the amount of smileys that I make, and exclamation marks that I have. And...
1: No, just live your dreams. And <laughs> those <of> smileys, <laughs> say just. Did you just say Justin? <laughs> I, I would have done. Yeah. Um, Maybe what, when Matt's talking about the kind of American culture, he's sort of talking about a Northeastern American, mm-hmm. like stereoty- what maybe more of a New York, what we would associate stereotypically with more of a New York style. Yeah, um, uh, one of the reasons that I've heard for the difference is that
5: if you say please, you're assuming that someone isn't going to do it unless you ask them nicely. Um, whereas, uh, so, so that's, that's an assumption that uh, you have to win that
6: person over yeah, so it's, it's maybe more, it feels like a personal judgment. You're thinking of them as unkind or impolite and at least you ask nicely.
5: I think I would need to maybe uh, observe for a year or so uh, to, to really uh, answer Matt's question fully, but this gen- tangentially hopefully hits it. I, I feel like when I'm watching improv, or people watching improv, to watch your turmoil vicariously. So, if there is a scene about how people are not getting their tomato and their lettuce because they didn't say please in front of each one, and it becomes kind of a game. If, the reason that we that I'm looking to get rid of a lot of politeness in the scene work that I see is because if if the characters themselves are being polite, now we're talking different about you know the way people play versus the way people are and what the way the way characters are on stage. I feel like the ruder people are to put points. Uh, And the more vulnerable they are to being hurt by that, then, and react to that, the more people can say, ooh, look at that, subconsciously, ooh, look at that, I can't believe that's happening up there. Something like that almost happened to me, it almost never actually happens to you because you protect yourself all the time. Something like that almost happened to me, I wanna see what that's like. And so that's why when I'm working, I love to have people become, work on their vulnerability, work on being less polite as characters.
1: You're avoiding the negotiation that does not make for an interesting
5: hypocrite scene. Exactly. I want to see the ordering of the subway sandwich go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. and, and, if, and if we can cross cultures to get there, that's interesting.
4: Um, this makes me think about uh, is everything does. Uh, Keith Johnson's writing about uh, status. Um, because, like, I guess, in terms of status, politeness is a way to not affect someone else's status, Mm -hmm. right? to not raise it or lower it. But Keith would say that, like, in order to bond with someone, you need to be able to raise and lower their status. That's that's part of what? Like, you can know someone for 10 years and still be an acquaintance if you use politeness to protect their status. You can become friends with someone in two minutes if you raise and lower someone's status, but you can't do that while being polite. And I think that that is true outside of, like, Outside, off stage, and on stage, and that on stage politeness stops people from being changed and affected. So, you need to get that politeness out of the way. Do
1: we have time for one more question? I know
5: this is possible, it's also about status as well, Uh, in
2: terms of like uh, genders and cultures. So, we have like uh, what we do, people are doing.
0: like all-female ones. So let me just make sure I'm understanding
1: your question. So you're saying when women are playing with other women, they seem more at ease and less polite in inverted yeah, commas? So yes, they are able to be less polite
5: because, you know, there's no status, right? there's no status
6: yeah, in terms of gender on
1: that. I think it comes back to what we were talking about here, which is around the idea of trust and having space. So when I've created work and spaces for all women's work. It has been around creating space for those stories and for, there's been a sense in the past where people had to fight for the stage and maybe sometimes uh, women not wanting to do that, that this was a space where they didn't need to fight necessarily because um, the space was was gentler, I guess, in a way, uh, less aggressive and so those stories can come out and there's more space for them.
0: You know, there's a huge variety of
1: um, voices and perspectives within, you know, women's improv. It's not like all women are the same, far from it. Um, And we are, to some extent, talking in generalizations, but sort of societally affected um, and socialized gender roles uh, definitely has an effect on, I think, the tone and the space. And for me, one of the best things about working in those spaces has been seeing people come out of those and then sometimes wish to continue working in those spaces and sometimes go back to more mixed gender spaces and feel maybe more confident or more secure in themselves, um, which can then shift how they play in those spaces as well. And also, let's not forget about finding ways to shift those spaces. Like, I think it's a a dynamic movement and that there should be room for lots of different types of spaces. Anyone else have any thoughts on that? I have
2: a thought. I'm going to use stand-up as a kind of generalisation. Generally male stand-ups, always, the punchline is almost like bam, 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 which I like, but I get tired of it very, very quickly. Female communities, again, generalisation, tends to take a longer route, longer to get to the punchline, which I enjoy more. Hence the reason why my top 10 improvisers predominantly are females. Because I love the story they tell, not only with the scenes or with their physicalisation, but even even if it is predominantly with a cast of men or predominantly cast of women. The story they see, the characters and the relationships they have with each other, with themselves, <coughs> um, I find more endearing and more entertaining, and I love watching that. Of course, because of the way we're unfortunately structured, is a lot more uh, male or a lot more male-oriented
1: scenes. I'd like to now invite the panelists to share, if they wish, a final reflection on our original topic or question, which is: Is New Zealand improv too polite?
4: I think that the actual issue yeah. is not politeness. I think that the issue, if I can try and restate my case, is that. The improv stage privileges verbal declarative offers in improv um, and improvisers who try and communicate their offers in other ways seem like they're being polite, whereas in fact uh, the other improvisers are just missing their offers. Beautiful.
1: Thank you. Who would like to go next?
2: Something about this statement doesn't quite sit right with me, and maybe I'm to it. over-thinking and under-thinking, I am it, thinking and underthinking it. i do not know. I don't think polite's the right word, because I don't think it's polite, I don't think it's not not polite, I just think the word we're using is something else, and I don't know what that is.
3: Kind of building on what both of you have said, especially what Brendan was saying...
2: Fine!
1: <laughs> I <laughs> was actually making powerful physical offers <laughs> <laughs> And
5: it was funny because he was being in play
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bethany, back to you okay. <laughs> well, just, yeah,
3: just because Brendan was talking about um, physical offers I guess maybe we also, as a solution Could do with broadening our understanding of active listening Of listening, not just being with the ears But being with the um, emotional energy and physical energy and subtextual energy. Um, so just really having a broader understanding of how we are, quote, listening and how we respond and build upon that and create beautiful gifts from that, whether we're being assertive or not with our character.
5: Stepping aside from this <laughs> redefined version of, of the word polite, which I accept race Uh, thinking overall the big picture I would say that this is just a stab at it from my perspective but to each other and to newbies I would think that Kiwis could stand to be more polite I would think that as characters on stage they could stand to be less polite and I think that as actors players to each other I think when it comes to politeness and assertiveness they can learn to balance that, to be all that they
1: can be. Beautiful. Thank you, Ben. What's Uh, I... No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nah. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly think um, I'm going to leave it there because on in the interest of both time, and I really enjoyed the varied approaches that people have taken. I would like to Thank the panel and the audience for being extremely polite. Uh, But yet, I still think we got to some interesting discussions. Uh, I don't think New Zealand improv is too polite. Really like the way you have framed it, Brendan, and that actually is about being open to to a variety of offers and thinking in terms of both the the gender and cultural identity and implications of that. And also echoing what others have said about making sure we don't kind of rest on our laurels of um, a sort of national stereotype that we are these incredibly polite people and you know being mindful of perhaps a tendency to, to passive aggressiveness that can appear polite but perhaps is not as polite as it as it actually as it thinks it is. So, on that slightly confusing note, uh, I'm going to draw this panel to a conclusion. Thank the panellists, thank the uh, attendees, thanks to those listening at home, and Aaron, thank you for organising this. Cheers.
0: This episode was produced and edited by me, Aaron Douglas, and made possible thanks to the New Zealand Improv Trust, Creative New Zealand, and Victoria University's internship programme. The New Zealand Improv Festival close to home ran 3rd to the 10th of October 2020 at BATS Theatre. Learn more about it at improvfest.nz or find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.